text for this morning's sermon is Galatians 1, 1 and 2. Galatians 1, 1 and 2. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 5 of Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, look at this text and we look at who Paul says he is, God, I pray that you give us insight as to how we're supposed to listen to him. And Father, I pray you would also give us insight into the question of who am I? What is my identity? Father, God, I pray that your authoritative word would define who we are in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about a year ago, I had the privilege to sit in on some uh, biblical counseling and what the biblical counselor said, which has had a tremendous impact on my own life and how I even think about uh, ever counseling someone else, was a statement that I had to think about for a while. I didn't immediately receive it as true. But what he said was, is what it means to be human at the furthest core down, what every human being is doing is asking this question, who am I? It's an identity question. And what he said was, however you answer that question, however you conceive of your identity will control your entire life. Everything you do will be controlled by how you answer the question, who am I? And he gave this example. He said, if you walk into a room of 20 people, what you probably have, apart from the grace of God and people walking by the Spirit, is 20 people who have an image of their self that is something like this. One person might think, well, I'm a confident person, so i got to be confident in this room. Well, I'm a caring person, so i got to be caring to people in this room. Or it might be, I'm a good father, so i got to respond to my children in a certain way in this room. Because... 
whatever we think of ourselves being, and we all have this view that we would like to be this type of person. And we'll do anything we can to live up to that. The problem is, we never do. We always fall short. Where does this vision of this person who Sam's supposed to be come from? Well, it comes from what we think we're good at. What's our gifting? What can I do? You know, what's my identity? Am I a preacher? Because I can preach? What do people tell me? People say good sermons sometimes to me. So maybe that's who I am. I'm a, I'm a preacher, but now look at the slavery here. I'm a good preacher. What do I have to do every Sunday? I have to live up to this image of who I am. So we learn who we are, who we ought to be, by what we think of ourselves and by the pingbacks we get from other people. That's why so many people get so nervous in a public situation. Because how people respond to us is life or death. It's either going to tell us we're succeeding in our identity or we're failing. So we're all afraid at how people are going to respond to us. And this biblical counselor is saying all this. He's not immediately putting Scripture behind it. And I'm thinking in my mind, is identity this life, this, this life controlling for a person? Does it really distinguish everything a person does? Does it distinguish whether or not they're willing to go into a crowd or not to go into a crowd? And when I went to the, my Bible and what he pointed out is, look, right at the beginning when God creates man, what does he do? He speaks identity into them. Man and, man and woman are created in God's own image. Well, then the fall comes, but then Christ comes. And so what happens to our identity? I was just looking at Twitter. You know, you get to put your little picture and a little bio of yourself. So I just kind of randomly picked a few of the people I'm following. One of them is a storm chaser named Reed Timmer. Here's what he writes. Extreme meteorologist for AccuWeather. Loves to chase tornadoes, hurricanes, and winter storms. PhD in meteorology, in meteorology from Oklahoma. That's who Reed Timmer is. How are you going to describe yourself? Are you going to describe yourself by what your giftings are, what your accomplishments are? Lawrence McEwen. I'm a, I follow a lot of storm chasers. He says, I'm Lawrence, an electrician. A f- uh, our, I'm Lawrence, an electrician, photographer, storm chaser at KOCO News, and a computer guy. God, Jesus, family, friends first. That's another way 
Lawrence describes himself. Andrew Wilson describes himself this way. Christian, pastor, writer. So I want us to consider the question who we are as Paul tells us who he is. You see, for us to understand Paul's letters, we need to understand who Paul is and who people say Paul is. And as we look at who Paul is, we want to ask the question back, who am I? And I'm submitting at the front end that how you answer that question will control everything you do throughout your week, throughout your day, and throughout your life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. I thought we were going to get through the first five verses, but we're not. And uh, so let's uh, look at the first two verses this morning. Verse 1. Paul. All right, let's stop here. Right here. I could preach a whole chapter of the Bible, right? Acts chapter 9. Paul was not originally named Paul. His name was Saul. But Paul, in identifying himself, says Paul. He's going by his new name. Paul has a new identity And we don't have time, but if we were going to go look at Acts chapter 9, we'll see that although Paul's life may look extreme, it's really like our life. Paul was a rebel against God, and he was actually walking down a road with permission to go imprison people who followed Jesus Christ, God's Savior. So he was going to promote the arrest and murder of Christians. And on that road, God saved Paul. Saul, when he was a rebel. And that's no different than you or I. The circumstances may just look different. In your heart, when you were saved, if you're saved, you were saved while you were a rebel. We just were talking about this this morning in Sunday school. Then when we were weak, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul's conversion was not a conversion of a man that begins to make himself right before God, but rather he was an extreme rebel whom God by His pure mercy and grace, blinded Him. But while He blinded Him, He actually revealed light to Him. Actually showed Him what the truth was. And so in those very first words, Paul is saying, I am saved by God. Paul is not a man who figured out how to follow God on his own. 
Rather, he's a man who is saved by sovereign grace. He was chosen by God. And this matters in this letter because Paul needs to lay down where his authority comes from and who he is. He needs to let us know that he is not a self-made man from man, but rather he's from God. Remember when we talked a couple weeks ago, if someone tells you you want a million dollars and it comes from an email from an unknown source and you just need to give them your bank account information so they can put the money in your account, nobody's excited because the good news came from a source that is not reliable. But in these first few verses, Paul is letting us know who he is so that we know how to receive the message that he's been given to speak. So Paul's saved by God. Second, he's commissioned by God. Here's what he says. Paul, an apostle. What's an apostle? Let's spend some time answering this question because if we don't understand what an apostle is, then his letter's not going to make sense as he begins with this. Here's what John MacArthur says of what an apostle is in its primary, most technical sense. He says, an apostle is used in the New Testament only of the twelve. So there's a general sense. Apostle means sent ones. But in the technical sense, in the New Testament, there's only 12 apostles. And if you remember, Judas was replaced by Matthias and of Paul, who was uniquely set apart as an apostle to the Gentiles. MacArthur writes, the qualifications for that apostle are for that apostleship were having been chosen directly by Christ, having witnessed the resurrection of Christ. So there's two things. Jesus Christ needed to show up and choose you as an apostle. And also, you needed to see Jesus Christ in His resurrected state. Paul was the last to meet those qualifications. It is not possible, therefore, as some claim, for there to be apostles in the church today. Some have observed that the apostles were like delegates to a constitutional convention. When the convention is over, the position ceases. When the New Testament was completed, the office of apostle ceased to exist. So, let's break this down. So MacArthur says an apostle is someone who's been chosen by Jesus Christ directly. He showed up and chose you, and then He revealed Himself to you in His uh, resurrected body. And let's look at some verses to, to see this as we answer the question. What does it mean that Paul's an apostle? In Luke 6, and verse 12, here's what we read. In, in these days, when Jesus went out to pray... And all night he continued 
in prayer to God. So there was a certain night where Jesus goes out. He prays the entire night. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named the apostles. So here is Jesus. It seems like he's spending all night praying to his father because there's such an important decision to make as he chooses the 12 apostles. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, listen how Paul describes how he was chosen as an apostle. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 4, which is reiterating the gospel. It says he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to me and more than five are, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one who is untimely of born, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, here's the statement of identity, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I heard worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Another spot in 1 Corinthians 9, here's what Paul says. He says, I am not free, or am I not free? Am I not an apostle? So he's saying, I'm free in Christ. And then he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? There we can see this criteria of having to see Him in His resurrected body. And then he says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? In Romans 1.1, Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the Gospel of God. So Paul was commissioned by God to be an apostle. God is the one who called him and revealed himself to him and gave him his ministry to the Gentiles. And then, <clears throat> so we see uh, the uh, another sign given to the apostle. So what else marks off an apostle? The question that comes a lot today is, do people have the spiritual gifts of healing and miracles? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll hear things like this, that a healer came to town, showed up at a church and did a healing ceremony. He's gifted to heal people. Or a miracle worker shows up to work miracles. And the apostles were uniquely gifted to with the miraculous gifts. And in a way that I believe, and, and as MacArthur gave in his definition, the office of apostleship isn't here anymore. 
Why would God give miraculous gifts to the apostles? They need to be authenticated as those who are laying the foundation of the Christian church, that these are the ones who are following in the line of Christ, doing miracles like Christ. So they're given supernatural signs to authenticate them as apostles of Christ. In Luke 9, 1 and 2, we read this, And He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and He set them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now what I'm... Don't get me wrong here. God still works miracles. God still heals. But does God still give certain people the gift to heal? That that's their spiritual gift? I'm going to argue no. Because when God gave these supernatural gifts to certain people, it was to authenticate a message. Remember what Moses said? How, why would they listen to me? He says, what do you got in your hand? He has a staff in his hand. God says, throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. God is saying, I will authenticate that you are my messenger by the mighty signs I will give you. In fact, in Acts 19, in verse 11, here's what we read. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out. There is nobody like the Apostle Paul here today where you just got to touch fabric to their skin and then pass it out to the sick. If there is, they need to come to Aberdeen and walk through our hospitals and hand out these handkerchiefs. Just quick, touch everyone with them. But God gave these miraculous gifts to the apostles to authenticate their message that this was a message from God. And apostles, like the prophets, when carried along by the Holy Spirit, spoke God's Word infallibly just as the prophets had before. So when we're asking the question, what is an apostle? They're called by Jesus. They've seen Jesus. They've worked miracles like Jesus. And they speak God's words infallibly when they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. Most of the New Testament was written through the hand of the Apostle Paul while he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. In John 14.25, here's what Jesus said to the Apostles. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He told these apostles that by the Holy Spirit, He was going to bring the very words of Christ back to them as they write the New Testament, as they write to the church. 
the apostles lay the foundation of Christian belief. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 18. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in 18. And we're asking the question, what is an apostle? Because we need to know, how do we respond to this letter written by an an apostle? Ephesians 2, verse 18. For through Him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, you're members of a house. So we're talking a building metaphor. But, in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. So here's the illustration Paul gives. If you were going to start a building, you need to start with the perfect stone that is square. This is what every good builder would start with. You would have a perfect stone that is a 90 degree angle so that every other angle you measure and you calculate in that building will be based off that cornerstone. And Paul just said, the apostles and prophets, this household of God, a foundation is being laid by apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. So the apostles are teaching about God's ways and what the Christian faith is. The prophets were pointing forward to Christ. The apostles come and they're revealing to us the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they build a foundation. And that foundation that we have is the New Testament. In fact, in Revelation 21 and verse 12, when we look at the great foundation of the new Jerusalem that comes out of the sky, when the new heavens and new earth comes, here's what we read. You don't need to turn there, just listen. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, the 12 angels, and our and at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations. Foundations. There's twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundation of the new city, there's pillars. And on them are written the apostles' names. It's no wonder in 1 Corinthians 3 
when Paul once again is, is giving a building uh, metaphor, here's what he says. According to the grace of God given to me, I think he's saying as an apostle, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building on it. And let each one care how he builds. What am I? What am I as a preacher? The Bible says preachers are gifts from God to the church. Well, what's my job? Is my job to lay foundation? No. In fact, Ephesians 2.20 says the foundation has already been laid in the prophets and the apostles. My job is to build on top of the foundation that is laid by the apostles to faithfully build on, on that. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, some build with good materials, others build with poor materials. Each one's building, each pastor's work, each Christian's work will be tested by fire. If I decide to build a building that goes outside the foundation of what the apostles laid, you know what's going to happen to that part of the building? Crash. That part of the building cannot stand. An apostle's job is to lay a foundation off the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and the church is to build on top of it with good materials. Now, that doesn't happen everywhere. And I know that's probably not a surprise to you, but let me just read the message from the president of a certain Baptist seminary we have in the United States. The seminary is Central Seminary. And this is a word from the president. This is the greeting as you go to that website. And here's what, what uh, she says. She says, As diverse cultures around the world embrace Christianity at an accelerated rate, a new and evolving global Christian conversation is emerging fueled by widespread adoption of digital communication. The identity of community as well as the definition and role of ministry itself is expanding. Identity is expanding. Ministry is expanding. Roles of ministry is expanding. Generating increasingly more dynamic interpretations, opinions, and responsible dialogue. At Central, we equip women and men with a new empowering vision of ministry and vocation, either for traditional clergy or as an extension of one's own chosen career path so that they can become transformative agents in an emerging global Christian community. We give our students a deep and evolving source of learning understanding and insight so they can develop their own distinctive voices in a vital and creative community of progressive values. I don't know if you get the theme of what this seminary is all about, but it's all about 
building outside the foundation of what the prophets and the apostles has laid down outside the word of God, the laid foundation that you can't go out, out beyond. Values don't evolve. They're given to us by God. And an apostle, Paul the apostle, was sent by God to deliver God's word to the church of Christ. And the church of Christ will grow when people build upon that foundation and not some evolving foundation. By the grace of God, I get to go to a seminary that says this on its front page. Under, I love the first word, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's rock solid. There's the cornerstone. The mission of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is totally committed to the Bible as the Word of God. To the Great Commission as our mandate and to be a servant of the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention. By the grace of God, a few seminaries are staying with the apostles' foundation. And in due time, their work and their labor and their ministry will be shown for what it is when it's tested one day by fire. So an apostle lays foundation for Christian belief. So, we read in verse 1 back in Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and the God and Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's call was a divine call. Therefore, his teaching carries divine authority. Paul was sent to teach. And his teaching is from God. It carries that authority. Paul's been called to preach the gospel and to suffer for God's namesake. How would you like this ministry call? Let me just read it to you. Acts 9.15 But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, and he's speaking of Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, and, and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. There's a call. Paul, your ministry is to carry my name and I'll show you how much you must suffer for my namesake. No wonder Paul can write Philippians 3.18. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he says this, For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in comparison to our, our count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In Colossians 1.21, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body that is the church. He's saying Christ is ascended into heaven. His suffering body is not before you. So my suffering body is here before you for your sake so that you can know the Gospel. So, number three in your notes, I am dependent upon the external authoritative words and work of God. That's a mouthful, but all those words matter. Your identity, you are dependent, you are defined by God outside of yourself. Paul was defined outside of himself. And Look at number four. I'm living in the present new age. When Paul says, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead, that is not just a passing comment. He doesn't say that in any other greeting when he says from the Father. Who raised Him from the dead? What Paul is doing here is he's signifying a change in times. You see, the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied of a day when dead bones would become alive again, when flesh would be put on them, when there would be resurrection of life. And, and when he says this, he's saying a new age has dawned in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 26, 19. I'll give you one of these prophecies. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For dew is the dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. When Jesus Christ raised from the dead, He's the first fruits of those who will be resurrected after Him. And Paul is dealing with a group of people who are saying we need to go back in time to circumcision and to the works of the law. And Paul is saying, no, a new age has dawned and things have changed. The prophecies have come to a culmination and in a fulfillment in this resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. A new day has dawned. I'm living in the present new age. You and I will not build our identity based off anything we do. But we're living in a time of grace where you and I are defined by the grace of God and the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And lastly, I'm a part of the family of God. Look at what, he, what Paul says in, in verse 2. So, let's just go back and read all this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me 
And then the letter is to the churches of the southern, uh, in southern Galatia. I am a part of the family of God. That's what Paul saying. He says, and all the brothers who are with me. Paul has other Christian brothers. He's not a lone ranger. Watch out for the guy who says, God gave me a word, but God gave no one else that word. Paul has other brothers who believes this same gospel. And it's a humble statement when he says, and all the brothers who are with me, he calls himself a brother in many parts of his letters. And here we just recognize that he is a part of the family of God. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, here's, here's what he says. He says, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. At the end of the day, if you ask the Apostle Paul who he was, he is never going to point to his own goodness apart from God. Everything is from God. That's his point. In this, these two verses, it's all highlighting that everything he is, every part of his identity is from God. In a sense, you know, Charles Spurgeon always had a way with words. And, and Spurgeon said, the beauty of being a Christian is no one ever slanders you good enough. You know, people said all sorts of things about Spurgeon. He had all sorts of, of, uh, opponents, but essentially they may say things that aren't true about him, but he can find worse things that he knows about. No one ever slanders him well enough because he knew who he was as a sinner. Do you see the freedom in the grace of God? What if you could walk into a room of 20 people and your identity is 100% defined by God in the person of Jesus Christ? Now, let's pretend someone doesn't respond well to you. That's okay. The God of the universe died for you and loves you and invited you into His family. And, by the way, Christ's righteousness is sitting in your place. You know what that gives you the ability to do? To go talk to the person who continually offends you when they talk to you and you're able to love them because your life is not hinging upon how other people respond to you because God has responded to you in the person of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's, it's as if every time you walk into a room of people and you feel your anxiety begin to build up and what if I don't live up to the expectations of people? It's as if Jesus is always tapping you on the shoulder and say, does it matter what I say of you? Why are you fussing? In fact, even if people think you're bad, what's the reality? I have sins that I'm hiding all the time. 
The gospel is, is I am sinful and I am broken, but I am not defined by my sin or my brokenness. I am defined by a resurrected Savior who died a substitutionary death in my place. You can be the most free person in the world when you know who you are in Christ. So, I want to finish up by answering the question of who am I? Paul is an apostle. You're not an apostle. And I'm not an apostle. But everything else Paul is, Paul is a sinner saved by the grace of God. Paul is a sinner who needed to be commissioned by God. Paul needed an outside authority to define who he was. Paul needed God to inaugurate a new day so that he could be saved. And Paul needed a father to adopt him into his family. And in those ways, we're all like Paul. So turn to 2 Corinthians 5.14. We'll just do this. In closing, listen to how Paul describes himself. We're going to start in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this is a statement of identity. You want to know what controls me? The love of Christ controls us. It's not my love. Christ's love controls us. That's why we look crazy to people. That's how he can be putting on this self-sacrificial love. And notice he says he died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for his sake. Christ died that he can free you from the slavery of your false identity. From the slavery of your own kingdom that's all about you. And then he says this in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now he's speaking of Christians. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul's saying, I don't view my brothers as sinners, but rather as a new creation in Christ. A new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. There's a new identity. There's new taste buds in Christians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. And then what does verse 18 say? All this is from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to Himself. He's always pointing to our identity, our new creation is from God reconciled us to Himself. That's our biggest dilemma. How could a sinner ever be reconciled to God? 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Jesus Christ was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What do you do? You've been entrusted with the message. What's the message? The message is, is you're sinful, but good news. God reconciles sinners through Jesus Christ. We've been entrusted with a job. Therefore, we have a title. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador to do? An ambassador doesn't speak his own words, but carries the word of the king. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying your job, Christian, is to go to a broken, lost, hopeless world and to carry the message of you can be made right with God. And God is imploring you through me, be reconciled to Him. Receive the grace of God And you might say, well, I don't know what to say then. We'll just say verse 21. Here's the Gospel. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew sin. There's a perfect man over here. He's never sinned. For our sake, God took our sin and put it on Him and made Him sin. Who, The one who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. When a person trusts by faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, what happens is is Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sins that you deserve to pay for in hell for eternity. Not only does He wipe your sins away, but God gifts you His own righteousness. The perfect life Jesus gave or lived, He gives you as a gift. Our identity is wrapped up in everything God did and not what we have done. So, I want to leave you with freedom. And I can't wait to preach next week. Grace and peace to you. Wasn't that a tremendous song? First time I ever heard it. And it's unbelievable that God can say peace to a sinner. But He can do it because of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for the Apostle Paul that You gifted men to lay the foundation off the cornerstone of Christ. Lord, we thank You that You give us such a high calling that You would call us ambassadors. You making Your appeal through us. Father, I pray that we would be saved sinners who just cannot keep in the amazing mystery that God can forgive even me. Lord, we thank You for this. I pray that no one here would leave not trusting in You. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.